You're listening to the Ralphie Report radio podcast with Jack Stern. Back and better than ever, am I? Buffs didn't look better than ever last night. They had an abysmal second half. We'll get into what went wrong there. Should Tad Boyle's job be in jeopardy? I'll offer my opinion on that and give some insight as well. Also get into football a little bit with the spring season. A month and change away. I know everyone's excited, so we just have to talk about it a little bit. All that and more coming up here on the this edition of the Ralphie Report Radio Podcast. But before I get to anything else, in honor of Super Bowl week, I have to talk about my favorite Super Bowl snacks. I'm a big chicken wings guy. I love hot wings. I know some of you guys like barbecue, lemon zesty, you know, different types of flavor. But I'm old school. I like some hot sauce on the wings, some blue cheese dressing on the side, maybe some chips and dips. I'm a veggies person too. I'm not really that into the salty foods and the candy. So maybe I'll stay away from the chips and dip. Stick to the wings. I think I'm going to order some Domino's. Uh, I like their Parmesan twist. I'm not really into the pizza there, but I'm thinking the chicken wings and the Parmesan twist will make an excellent Super Bowl Sunday snack. Guess what? It's even better that it starts out here only at 440. We'll have time to do things after that. It's not like the night's ending. So that's, that's going to be a great day. Great game between the Rams and the Patriots. I'm certainly looking forward to it. I'm curious to know what you guys like to eat for the big game or what you have planned. But switching gears to something that's not nearly as good, the Buffs led Stanford on the road by as much as 12 in the first half. They led by six at the break. But then the roof came crashing down, and they were outscored 44-25 in the second half and lost by double digits. Another abysmal Jekyll and Hyde type performance where there's literally no consistency. Sometimes, well, usually actually they come out poorly in the first half, and then in the locker room they get a tongue lashing from Tad Boyle, and they come out of the locker room better. This time it was in reverse. But the inconsistency in play is what's worrying me. And it's not everyone. Tyler Bay had another outstanding performance. McKinley Wright, who is playing through injuries, played well. But the defense was abysmal, which is, to be fair, rare in the Tad Boyle era. Usually it's the other way around. And granted, they are missing a lot of guys. Naaman Wright, who's a nice piece off the bench, is going to have to have season-ending surgery. Dallas Walton was lost in the preseason to a torn ACL. Deleon Brown is academically ineligible, which Tad Boyle said in 25 years he's never seen. McKinley Wright missed a game. This team is in disarray, but that doesn't excuse what happened last night. They're not finding ways to score points, which, as I've said several times on previous episodes, is a recipe for disaster because they can't keep up with their opponents. The defense fell asleep. Stanford shot 55% from the field in the second half. CU wasn't playing physical enough in the post, which is why Stanford kept pushing the ball down low in the paint. 
Then they would open. They weren't guarding the three-point line. They gave Stanford a bunch of wide-open shots. They just weren't playing tough enough. And that's not going to cut it. This is Pac-12 basketball. It's conference play now. You're not, having, you're not playing warm-up games anymore. This is unacceptable, in my opinion. There's too much talent on this team for them to be struggling this much, in my opinion. And it's clearly technique, because they were outplayed. Badly. And by one of the worst teams in the conference. I understand it's a road game, but you have to win a couple. And you have to find a way to close out games, not fall asleep, not get too caught up in what the score is and kind of let up. You need to keep your foot on the pedal for 40 minutes, and this team has not done that all season. That is why they've ended up at this point. They have 11 games left still, seven of which are home, which is good news, but they have to play the Arizona schools again. They have to go to Seattle to play Washington. So it's, it's a rough stretch coming up, and they could easily lose six or seven of those, if not more. Look, I didn't, I didn't expect them to make the NCAA tournament, or even the NIT for that matter. But I did expect them to win some games, and I did expect them to play good basketball. And neither of those things have happened yet, outside of uh, non-conference play, which is my biggest concern. Segwaying in to the future of Tad Boyle, I think he should be on the hot seat. And I think he deserve, they, the, if the move is made sooner rather than later, things will be better. And I have a couple reasons for saying that. One, it's been leaked and it's become clear by seeing the looks on the players' faces in-game that they don't really consider him a strong coach. They don't, respect, they don't have a ton of respect for him. They listen to what he says, and they get along with him because they want to play. But it's clear that he doesn't have the locker room under control. And we don't have that as a head coach. There's issues. Number two, I put a lot of the blame on the team's performance for, on him. And look, he's been, to his credit, he's been outstanding through this whole process. He's really taken accountability in a lot of situations and said, we need to play better, and it's my fault, and I need to prepare them better. I really appreciate how he's taken the blame, which is a stark contrast to Mike McIntyre. At the same time, that's starting to get old. They're not getting better from game to game, at least not significantly. They're not, you don't know which team is going to show up on a nightly basis. They're not playing consistently well. They, a lot of them look distracted out there and like they lack the energy and intensity to win a game. And it's just spiraled out of control. I think he deserves a lot of blame for all of those things. Because after, at the end of the day, it's the coach's job to prepare the team and he's not doing that very effectively. It's just very concerning that they can't play an entire game well. And then it's a guessing game, pretty much, to uh, think about which team is going to show up. It's just, it's not, I, this is not going to end well. And this is probably the, try, the most trying year, as he said earlier in, in, uh, in the week, that he's had during his coaching career. 
but I just expect more. They have good players. Tyler Bay is arguably the best big man in the Pac-12. Third in the conference in rebounding. McKinley Wright is an outstanding point guard. Shane Gatling has really come into his own. He started to perform. And he's getting starter minutes now. Lucas Siebert has trailed off, but I feel the potential is there with him. And they need to find a way to coach him up to be more physical inside. Because he's a piece that this team needs. They have players. It's not like the other teams are that much better than them from a personnel standpoint. I really don't believe so. Especially after watching them come within seven points of, of Washington. It's not a bad team, but they are playing like one, and that is where the issue lies. That's what's the most concerning about all of this. Switching gears now, though, to something that's a little bit lighter. I'll get back into Pac-12 basketball later. We're going to talk Buffs football for a little bit, and then I'm going to talk about what the basketball team needs to do the rest of the way to win some games and how many games I think they'll win. So be sure to stick around and stay tuned. But something notable that Mel Tucker did that was a stark contrast to Mike McIntyre is he is having a longer spring football session. Rather than being five weeks, it's now nine weeks, which is almost twice as long minus a week. But still, I think that sends a message that he wants this team to train and prepare very hard and be strong. They're not taking time off. A lot of teams would have a short session and then they'd part ways for the summer. And obviously these guys all have training routines and whatnot. But the structure and the accountability that he's adding is exactly what this team needs. And several of the players said it at the end of last year too, that they needed a guy who was going to set the tone. By having a longer spring football session and saying we're going to work this hard to be good year-round, that's, setting, that's what I call setting the tone. And another notable thing that he did that I think is good for publicity is he moved the spring game back from mid-March. Last year it was on St. Patrick's Day. This year it's on April 27th. Well, for one, I know Colorado weather is unpredictable, but I do believe that more people will show up because it's probably going to be a little bit warmer. Last year it was... A calm 50 degrees wasn't that bad, but it was on St. Patrick's Day. The students were out partying. People were out enjoying the weekend, engaging in festivities, and the stadium was virtually empty. I never expected a sellout for a Colorado football spring game. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. But in terms of getting a better audience out to the stadium, I think having it at a, warmer t- a typically warmer time of the year And later is going to attract a better audience. And plus, from a marketing standpoint, you have more time to build up the hype. And it's something that's going on toward the end of the year. It's a fun closing activity for the students. It's a nice weekend thing for the families. And I think they should, they should hypothetically get a better crowd. Not they will. I don't want to go that far because I don't know what people's plans are. And, you know, there's, you're always going to get the diehards and the people who love Colorado football out there. But um, in, in terms of getting people who are on the edge of going or not going, 
I think that they are likely to just get a better crowd because of the, because of that. And I do think the team will will be stronger mentally and physically because of the longer sessions. I mean, just think about it. You have more time to get into shape and push yourself, really build up your stamina. Because stamina from week one to week four to week seven to week nine is much different than week one to three to five. You know, you can you can build it up in smaller increments. And from a strength standpoint, I really think you can push your body to get – you can push your body to its limits because of that longer period. It's, it's very nice in a number of different regards. Now I want to talk about women's basketball. I know that's not typically a topic of discussion here on the Ralphie Report Radio podcast, but due to their recent performance, I think I have to address it. Women's team is 0-10 since Pac-12 play started. 0-10. They have not won a game. That is, that is not good. Excuse me, 0-8. They started off the season 10-1. and one. Yeah, they were playing Southern Nazareth and or Northern Colorado, CSU, Nevada. You know, teams that aren't typically great. Yeah, they were, they were playing lesser competition. But just like their men contemporaries, your weaknesses will be exposed immediately when you start conference play. And the women are not really staying in the games, which is a problem. They're getting blown out by double digits nightly. Lost by 20 today. 11 on Friday, 19 a week ago, and tw- uh, over more than 25 points uh, the game before, and 10 the one before that. It's embarrassing. J.R. Payne is right when she said at her press conference today that they're losing games in the matter of five minutes or a stretch of a quarter. They win for three quarters, but they can't play four good quarters of basketball. But that, like, like with Tad Boyle, it just speaks to the coaching. You, you, Cal outscored them 27-13 in the second quarter, 21-13 in the third. It, it's, it's, it gets to a point where you just can't let this keep happening. It, and they also don't look focused either. It's a problem. I don't know what it is. Maybe the women's and men's players are interacting socially and it's, become something that's been passed down. But the, the women's team is just not performing. And they have some vet- veterans on their roster, and they have some pieces, and none of them are playing well. I would say Maya Hollingshed and Alexis Robinson have played the best. Obviously not having Kennedy Leonard hurts, but they didn't look competitive even when Kennedy was on the floor. So that's a moot point in my opinion. I think J.R. Payne, if this continues, will certainly be fired at the end of the season. I don't know what it's going to take to get this team back to the level they played at during the Seal Berry days. I don't know if that's going to happen even in the next coaching regime, but something has to give. And just like with Tad Boyle, it's literally a mirror situation with the men. It's been leaked that the players are not very fond. Some of the players are not very fond of J.R. Payne. Just listening to her speak, it's pretty clear that she plays favorites, especially with Kennedy Leonard. So I, I think the, this could be the beginning of the end for Coach Payne. She came to Colorado as the hot young commodity from Santa Clara. 
She worked her way up the coaching ranks. But she doesn't look cut out for Pac-12 basketball. And the smiling and the joking and the excuses are not going to last much longer. Rick George is getting fed up. It's pretty, pretty evident. And the, day, the days of having completely empty arena, uh, uh, the event center being completely empty are not going to be sustained in this environment. It's just not going to work. So I think we could potentially see Payne fired at the end of the season, only after only two years, or three years, rather. Just not, not, not good for the, for the program and not good for recruiting, and they're getting outplayed on every different level. Their three-point defense has been abysmal. Shooting has struggled at times, aside from Alexis, Maya, and Kennedy. But, you know, something's got to give. This can't, this can't continue. Anyway, I want to take a quick look at the men's basketball schedule before I wrap things up. I know that's something a lot of you are looking at and are excited about this upcoming homestand that's coming up. Well, I don't, I don't want to say it's a homestand, but there's two, there's two home games coming up, one on Thursday, one on Saturday. The one I'm looking at is Oregon, Sta- Oregon State, which is the first one. Oregon's good, but Oregon State, in my opinion, is the dark horse to win the Pac-12. I said on, my la- on the last episode of my podcast that I thought the conference was a two-horse race between Arizona and... Washington, after watching Arizona get blown out by UCLA, I no longer think that way. The problem with Arizona to me is that they're a very young team. And young teams, first, they don't have as much experience. Second, in the game of college basketball, a lot of these guys are less biologically developed. They're not as strong. They're not as well built. And I think that's kind of what's going to hurt Arizona. Sean Miller is a good coach, and I do think they will get back on track. And anything can happen in one game or, you know, a Pac-12 tournament. I'm not downplaying that fact. But I no longer see Arizona as the team to beat. Oregon State's going to be another test for the men. Oregon, decent team. Obviously not as good after losing ball-ball, but still, still, still a good team. They played well this weekend, got a nice win. UCLA, on the ro- then they go on the road and play UCLA and USC. UCLA is not the best team, but I think they're significantly harder to beat on the road because of how good the turnout and the environment is at Pauley Pavilion. USC might be the dark horse to win the Pac-12, and they've typically struggled against them. Then they come back home to play the Arizona schools, but both of them clean their clocks out the, past, the, the, last, home, the last trip out to Arizona. They got beat badly. Well, I mean, they stuck in the game against Arizona, but Arizona State blew them out. I think that's a game that you got to win if you're Colorado against Arizona on your home court because I think that could be the difference, honestly. Arizona is not that good of a team this year in in the big realm of things. Then you go on the road to play Washington State. You got to win that game. Go to American Airlines, Alaska Airlines Arena to play Washington. I don't expect that. Then you close the season out with three home games against Utah, UCLA, and USC. So just to recap, they play Oregon, Oregon State, UCLA, USC, Arizona State, Arizona, Washington State, Washington, and Utah before wrapping things up against UCLA and USC again. 
11 games left, and I have trouble finding five wins in there even, which would be what allowed them to finish over 500 at 15 and 14. It, it's, it's, they're just not a very good team this year. I could picture them losing eight of those 11 games and dropping to 16 or 14 and 16 which would be two games under 500. All things considered, that's not horrible when you look at it on paper. But I'm taking into account the fact that they had one of the lightest non-conference schedules they've had in their in-program history. I mean, they played Drake, Omaha. They almost lost to the University of Nebraska-Omaha. I didn't even know there was such a thing before the season started. They played Portland, CSU, who's not a good team, South Dakota. They, they, didn't, they weren't really tested early on. And then going into the Diamond Head Classic, a tournament that a lot of people thought they had a chance of winning, they finished in last place and barely squeaked by. They finished second to last and barely squeaked by the last place team. It took overtime to do that. So I think this team, no matter how you look at it, at the end of the season when we're reflecting on this and I'm evaluating the program and where we're at, I, I think as a whole they will have regressed, A, and B, underachieved, underachieved massively. And I'm disappointed, all things considered, to be completely honest. I thought this team had more in them. But we'll learn a lot about them down this final stretch. Whether what they're made of, if it's in their DNA to lie down and give up, or if they're going to fight back and maybe steal a couple games with uh, seven of the 11 on their home floor at the CU Event Center. Which is very possible to do in the game of college basketball. Anything can happen in one game. If that happens, I think there's a reason to be confident going into next year. If they're not, and it's the same old garbage, I would be extremely concerned. Because... They're not really aside, not missing Delion Brown, Dallas Walton, and Naaman Wright. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, you lose some depth, but they're not injuries that are significant enough to justify such a poor performance, in my opinion. That's really where I stand, and that's why I'm concerned. Anyway, I hope everyone enjoys the Super Bowl, eats some good food, gets out to the Oregon. CU game on Saturday because that should be a good one. Saturday night, day before the Super Bowl. And I encourage everyone who's listening to get out to the games. Even as a media member, it seems like the student section is having fun. It's a fun environment. Only a two-hour commitment, pretty much. At least go out there and support the team because they're not getting enough support right now. And I think that takes away the home court advantage a lot, not having those people cheering for you. So everyone, get out there, support your buffs, and I will get back to you with another edition of the Ralphie Report Radio podcast next week.